Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to check out The Burnham Project on Substack. You can get Burnham Podcasts. You can read my blogs and all sorts of cool stuff. It can even be sent right into your inbox. You can also watch us on Rumble and YouTube. We like Rumble better, but you can also watch us on YouTube. You can also find Burnham Podcast anywhere that you find your favorite podcast. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, click the little bells, the Rumble button, whatever the service has to offer. Click it, do that, follow us, tell people about us. Thank you very much. Vernon Podcast has a new advertising partner. Introducing DoggyBagTreats.com. Tailwagging delights for your furry friends. They've got all types of collars and leashes. They've got all natural treats. Things like minnows, chicken hearts, freeze-dried beef lung. That may not sound good to you, but your dog's going to love it. They've got all natural baked goods. Things for fresh bread. They've got peanut butter, banana oat, pumpkin, cheddar bacon, and other assorted treats. They've got pet care items like paw fume, oat soap, and paw balm. You can also make wholesale orders. Burnham Podcast listeners can get a discount by entering the code BURNHAM01 at checkout. Now back to the show. So there's a lot of people who are fighters, geared one way or another. They always want to be in the middle of the action. It's the kind of guy we got on in this episode. We talk about kickboxing, karate, being a cop, getting into some blood and guts. Buckle up. We're talking to James Manning in this episode. Welcome to Burnham Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Burnham. But we're here, as promised, as promised. Mr. James Manning. What's up, man? Oh, you know. Just sitting here recording a podcast with the the world famous James Manning. Hey, I don't know about that. Maybe maybe world famous in my own mind. That's about right. Somebody, you're famous to somebody. Well, yeah, I think I might be famous to my kids. There you go. Famous That's what matters. Famous most. to get on their nerves. Yeah, be famous. <laughs> what did Travis say? Be famous in your own home. That's his thing, man. Yeah. Well, yes, good. Yeah, good to have you on. It's good to be here. We've been trying to connect. We were going to do this months ago. Yeah. And then you had that schedule, and then we had things that came up, yep. and it didn't, and, and, and it just know. didn't work. Gee, so. Yeah. But now you have a better schedule. I do. I'm on a normal schedule, and I don't really know what to do with it. So, well, I mean, that's you went from what were you like every third night or some weird? Well, we worked um, twelve hour shifts, and so one week we worked Monday, Tuesday, off Wednesday, Thursday, work Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The next week it was the opposite. So one week I worked five days, and next the next week I only worked two days. So that short week was really nice, yeah, you know, because it gave me five days with my kids, and, right? You know, five days to do whatever. But that five-day week of 12, man, that was tough. But you never worked more than three in a row. I'm fired from that job, though, because I can't remember what day to go to work. Well, you know? I, that was me. It was always, okay, well, if you work night shift, you don't ever know what day it is. Right. You go, yeah. to school, you go to work on one day, and you come home on the next, and it's kind of like, is today Monday or Thursday? I don't know. Especially the time of year when it's dark on both ends. Yep. Yeah. And it gets even worse when you start getting like the end of the month or even, oh, Lord forbid, you ever have to work New Year's Eve. Oh. Because then it's like, wait a minute, is it 2022? Two? Yeah, not only what day, but what year is it? Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, I hate wintertime working night shift because it's dark when you get there, dark when you come home. The cool thing about it is most of the time, because on the drive up is when it would kind of start getting dark. Mm-hmm. So you see the sunset and you just kind of appreciate the sunset. Yeah. And then you'd appreciate it the next morning. And so one, one day, um, it's when I was still working in Rome. Uh, I think it was Bennett, my daughter, had went to the hospital at the ER. Mm. And so we were leaving, the sun was coming up, and she's like, Daddy, that sunrise is so pretty. And I said, well, baby, you got to think about it. I said, Daddy sees the sun set and the sunrise at work. Yeah. And she's like, 
you're so lucky. <laughs> but I thought about it, and I was like, you know what? I gripe all the time about working night shift and being gone. And here my kid is thinking I'm lucky just because I get to see sunrise a, and the sunset at the same time. Great perspective, right? Yeah, and so you kind of – it just makes you look at things a different way and go, man, I'm, I really need to quit griping. It could be worse. I know. Yeah. So, I don't know. But. Especially in your line of work, like when you don't know, there might not be another sunrise. There you might know? not. You know, you might not make it home. That's one thing, you know, my job now being in the academy, that's one thing I really push to these guys is, you know, you're in a career that you might not make it home from. Yeah. You know, and everybody wants to oorah, oorah, oorah and stuff. And the the world is, is a horrible place. Yeah. And we see more of that now with, you know, things that are going on in society and things that are going on overseas and stuff like that. But the world's a horrible place. And we can't live a life thinking the world's all sunshine and rainbows. Yeah. Because we're going to, you know, the Bible says, you know, don't, don't, don't lie to yourself. You know? Right, yeah. And, and that's the thing. I, I don't, um, so I, I want those kids to understand. I call them kids, but a lot of them are, you know, close to the same age I am. But uh, I want them to understand that, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. And so you have to take the good with the bad. We see some of the worst stuff in the whole wide world as law enforcement officers, but man, we get to see some of the coolest stuff too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I don't know some of the times when I was having the hardest time and the worst nights, that's the time when I would go to a call and a kid would just run up and hug my leg. And uh, me, Thank you. Or a kid would just come up and just stick his arms out. Like, uh, pick me up. Yeah. You know, I'm walking around answering a, a domestic call between a fight between a mom and daddy. And I'm carrying their two year old playing with him. Oh, man. You know, you're in the middle of a crap situation, but you're getting to be, you know, interact with that kid. You're a hero in that, that moment kid, to that kid. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, it can, it can always be worse. Yeah. So, um, so I just appreciate the time that I got. Well, I'm, I'm grateful that there are people who will do that job. Yeah. You know, because I, I don't want to. Yeah. I'd rather not. And I understand. if somebody breaks in my house and my kids are in danger, that's yeah. a different story. We'll do what we got to do. But mm-hmm. you guys run to that kind of thing, you know? You know, and I guess it sounds cliche, man, but in some way, and it's just like being a pastor, man. Yeah. You got to be called to it. Oh, man. Because yeah. if you just step into it, if you say one day, hey, I'm going to start a church, but you're, you're not called and you don't have that anointing, yeah, good luck with that. that ain't I wonder. Last very long. I wonder some days, you know. <laughs> well, you know. So my dad, my dad's a Southern Baptist preacher. Yeah. Uh, my brother's a pastor too, and I remember my dad talking uh, one time. He said, "You know, once you grab hold of that plow, you can't ever let go." Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I thought that for a long time, and I thought, well, maybe because growing up, and you know, I, man, growing up as a kid, I, I sang in churches and sang with. Uh, all over the place, and then I played in a couple of Christian rock bands as I got older and stuff, and we got to just do different things and minister and be around people and all, and I thought, well, maybe this is kind of where God wants me to be, but the more I thought, you know, I was like, no, this this ain't it. Yeah. And so um, I was selling plumbing supplies, like we was talking about a second ago. I sold plumbing supplies for like 20 years. Um, at the same time, I was running Outlaw MMA, mm-hmm. and we were training fighters, doing different things, and so... Um, when the plumbing market went to crap, uh, I went from making about <laughs> the plumbing market yeah, went to crap. I know. I'm sorry. That's like a, <laughs> you I'm sorry. caught it. No. But um, man, I went from making I don't know seventy seventy five thousand dollars a year to like thirty. Yeah, and I was having to work twice as hard. I'm yeah, like, this just ain't for me. So at that time, I had you know a couple of cops, a couple of I had a DEA agent, I had FBI guy, the Floyd County DEA, all of them were training with me, and they're all like, you need you need to get law enforcement. Mm. Dude, I had I had thought about it and wanted to since I was a kid, but I never felt like I had the support. And um, at the time, I had some friends who were talking about it, and they were like, you know what, man? You just need to pray about it. Yeah. And if that's where God wants you to be, then let's just get walking. 
And man, the the moment that I I kind of stood back and said, okay, whatever you want, you're the boss. Uh, man, it's like everything changed. And um, and you know, I, I'm like everybody else. I've had things in my life where I thought this is what God wants me to do. Yeah. And I thought for a long time, hey, God wanted me to, me to be in ministry. God wanted me to play music. God wanted me to do this or that or whatever. And things have just happened and just not worked out. Um, but that was that one time that God just kind of opened the door and said, hey, it's yours. Walk on in. Time to go. There you go. And dude, I just, I kind of took like took to it like a duck to water. Yeah. And uh, and it's like I told, I was telling the, the guys in Mandate today, I said, man, we know when we get in this career, it ain't about money. You ain't going to make no money. It better not be. You know? <laughs> but it's about making an impact. Yeah. And it's about those times when you get to get to influence that child or you get to talk to that 14 or 15-year-old kid who's going through a hard time. Um, I still, you know, I hadn't worked in Rome for almost four, well, about three years, I guess. I still get phone calls from people that I dealt with on the street mm. um, that either just tell me how they're doing or they may be calling to ask me, hey, what do I need to do? Yeah, uh, I literally got one the other day. I recognized the guy's number. I called it back. Well, it was his wife, his, well, his girlfriend, and um, she said, "Hey, he's he's back on with the stuff again." Mm. And I was like, "Okay, what's going on?" You know, blah blah blah, and tried to hook him up with some people that I knew that could help him out. Um, but it's those kind of things in it that where you can make an impact. To me, that's what's most important. Yeah. So the decision for me to go to teach at the police academy instead of being on the road or whatever, I've always been just an adrenaline junkie. I've always been the one that just, <laughs> dude, I wanted to be the first one in the door. Yeah. I wanted to be in the middle of everything. And that's just how my mentality is. Um, I did almost 10 years on SWAT here. I did two and a half years on SWAT and Walker. Um, that's just who I am. Yeah. And to come out of that and go into a classroom full time, it was a step. And so, um, a buddy of mine who's uh, a solid Christian at West, where I used to go to church with at West Rome, uh, Kevin Moraine, me and Kevin were talking about it. And he said, Man, um, at, the, at the department level, you've got the opportunity to possibly impact 40 or 50 people. Well, there's 20 to 30 people that come through Mandate every session. We run at least four sessions a year. Yeah. So now you're impacting not only those 100, 120 people. But you're impacting everybody they go to an agency with mm. because they're not going just saying, hey, I learned this at Mandate. They're going saying, hey, Lieutenant Manning taught me this or he taught me that or yeah. he showed me this. And so you have an opportunity to impact hundreds of people. And I'm like, you know what? I'm sold. It's a and bigger I, scope. It's better money too, but I'm like, you know what? <laughs> There's a chance to impact more people, so I'm yeah. sold. So uh, it was it was a change for me. Yeah. you know, A little bit I, like slamming on the brakes, right? And Well, it was because I kind of felt – I've always – I've always had a heart to teach. You know, I've ran mm -hmm. kickboxing classes, karate classes, boxing stuff, done a little bit of everything, um, teaching, and done it for a long time. And I've always enjoyed it, but I never really thought that um, that was going to be my career, I yeah. guess. And like I said, man, when I when I got involved with SWAT and everything else, I'm like, man, this is this is where I need to be. Let's go get the bad yeah. guys. Let's boot doors and, and, and you know, shoot cool guns and, and do all this kind of <laughs> st cool stuff. Yeah. But, um, and I got a... I got a lot of opportunities to, to do a lot of cool stuff. Um, you know, we got to be on the security detail with President Trump when he had his rally. Oh, here. yeah. And, man, that was that was something really cool. Yeah. Um, but you know what? I just I look at it now, and I'm like, man, I, I just have the opportunity to to impact a lot more people and to, make, to do what I got to do to make sure those people make it home safe. Man, that's all I care about. 
Yeah. And like I said, the money don't help, don't hurt. But yeah, well, I mean, you know, a little money here and there. You got to pay bills. You do. You do, People, especially when you got kids. You yeah. Know? I got one that's, um, so my daughter's 13. My son will be eight uh, Thursday. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, um, so my girlfriend, she has two kids still at home, a 15-year-old and an eight-year-old. And so it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, and I imagine so. so. Trying to be a, trying to be an influence on all of them, too. You yeah. Know, it's a... Uh, uh, I mean, that's our calling. That's what we're called to do. Well, it seems like you and I don't know each other super well, yeah. but I know a lot of people that, that know yeah. you, and it seems like you have that type of heart where you were you needed to be in a place of influence, yeah. whether it was law enforcement or teaching on some, some capacity or a lot of the coaching that you've done over yeah. the years. Mm-hmm. Something that's going to make a difference. There yeah. are people that just aren't wired to go pull a lever every day. Yeah, I oh, know. Uh-uh. And you're – yeah. One of those people, it seems. And when I went to law enforcement, that's one of the things that frustrated my dad. Because mm-hmm. he was like, you know, you, you just need to get eight to five. And you need to go home and do this and this and this. And yeah. I'm like, that's just not me. Yeah. You know, my, my favorite time in my whole law enforcement career was when I worked second shift. And that was 3 p.m. to 1 a.m. Now, most people Makes say Makes my that. eyelid twitch. Hey, listen. <laughs> most people say that. But in law enforcement, that's the place to be. Is it? Because that is when people get home. They act like fools. They want to fight. They want to do this. They want to do that. And you're right in the middle of when all the chaos is going on. Yeah, I guess and so. And I love chaos. I mean, I just love being in the middle of it. Yeah. And most people just don't, I don't know, they don't thrive in it. And then I'm just like, you know, give me more. The yeah. crazier it can be, the happier I am. Man. So. so you, I don't know, you got into law enforcement. We're talking about making a difference. What was the... What whatever opened the door? You talked about somebody, you know, guys saying you needed yeah. to do that. But what was the thing in your head? I mean, that, I, as a kid, I always wanted to be a cop. Yeah, um, that's what I was getting at. Yeah, okay. I mean, as a kid, I always, I always did. Um, I was in high school. I had um, pretty nasty back surgery in high school. Um, they told me, "Hey, you'll never lift weights. You'll never do any kind of contact sport." Mm. I said, "Okay." So in um, 1993, I started karate. Um, I went in the karate school. I told my karate instructor, I want to be the best fighter you've ever trained. That's all I care about. I had done team sports, just didn't like it. Yeah. I wanted something that was just me. Um, so I started competing, started fighting, um, fought pretty much all over the country. In 1998, uh, I won the North American Sport Karate Association National Championship, and I won the IKC World Championship twice. Um Got my black belt, tested my black belt, got that, and then um, started doing boxing and kickboxing, tough man contests, just a little bit of everything. Yeah. And again, was fighting all over the place. Um, kind of thought that's what I was going to do, was coach and fight and do whatever. Yeah. And then um, 2000 and 2002, I was getting ready for a, a kickboxing match. And we were up in Dalton at our kickboxing school, and we were sparring around, and uh, I got hit with an uppercut. Nothing hard, nothing crazy, but I kind of noticed a flash in my in my vision mm-hmm. and think nothing about it. Well, the next morning, uh, the band I was playing in, we were playing, I think, at Berry College that next day. And I woke up, no, was playing at Pleasant Valley North that next day. And I got up, and we went to set up the day before. Uh, and so I got up, and I'm, you know, going to the church building, and I started noticing, like, a shadow in my vision. Mm. I thought, eh, I don't look right. So I went up calling my eye doctor, told them what I had, and they're like, well, you need to be in the doctor's office tomorrow. So I go in there. um, They rush me to Emory Hospital, and I had a detached retina. Oh. So basically, um, when they went in, they reattached it. They inserted a gas bubble in my eye, and for six weeks, I laid on my left side with my left ear touching my left shoulder, and I couldn't move. 
because the gas bubble had to float up and kind of mesh all that stuff back together. So I was pretty miserable. I got a creak in my neck just yeah, thinking about that. Yeah, dude. Uh, it was painful. Yeah. So the bad thing was it was the end of my fighting career. Um, dude, I had a room full of trophies. I had belts on the wall. I had all this stuff. Yeah. And I got mad at God, and I threw it all in the trash. Oh, no. I literally kept maybe four to five trophies, and the rest of them I trashed them. Mm. I was just, I was mad. Um, I got it in my head that, you know what, um, can't fight no more, but I got a lot to give. Yeah. And so I started um, coaching some people on the side. Um, one of the guys, one of my first fighters I ever coached, his name's Stephen Bass. Uh, he used to live in Calhoun. He was getting ready for some boxing stuff over in Alabama. And I coached him. Uh, he wound up moving to Mobile and started doing MMA. Um, then wound up being on the uh, third or fourth season of Ultimate Fighter. Uh, and then I thought that name sounded familiar. Yeah, it's yeah. Stephen Big Fish Bass. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And so he fought on UFC for three or four times, and now he owns an MMA school down in uh, Savannah. So after that, I kind of started doing some more stuff, and um, that's about the time I decided to open up Outlaw MMA. Uh, the guy who was my first jiu-jitsu coach there was um, Jesse Mayo. Um, Jesse and Jason M used to train a lot, yeah. and Rob. Jesse and Rob trained together with yeah. Tony Lopez. And so everybody always asked me where Outlaw MMA came from. And I said, well, I mean, Jesse and James, Jesse James. Ah, and that's where Outlaw came from. There you go. And so we did that I for a I never knew that. That's good yeah. stuff. And so we did that for a long time. And then um, that's about the time that uh, – I decided I needed a full-time job because I'd left Plumber Supplies and was trying to do the gym thing. It just wasn't wasn't doing it what Man, I needed to do. You were just a little bit ahead of that game, I think. Just a little bit. Yeah. And so um, so then I, like I said, I had several people tell me, hey, you need to you need to look into law enforcement. Yeah. And so wound up, um, I talked to the, I couldn't decide if I wanted to work for the county or the city. Yeah. And so I knew guys in both and some of the guys from the county said, well, listen, here's the deal. The only issue is, uh, if you're on the north end of the county and you need help for them to get from the south end to the north end, it's going to take a minute. It's a long way from Silver Creek to, to Armarchy. That's exactly right. <laughs> and, uh, and actually, the guy that I had talked to had been involved in a shooting, and I think he was out around the pocket. And it took, like, forever for his help to get there. Yeah. And so um, I got thinking about it. I had a, uh, a daughter that was like a year old, uh, a you know, pretty new wife. And I was like, I can't do that. Yeah. You know, so I went to the city because I knew with the city, backup was pretty close. Yeah. And so um, they were like, hey, you got better chances to to move forward, a little more money, things like that. And I thought, okay. Probably a little more of that chaos you were looking for, too, was, in town. Was. And so, uh, and like I said, I kind of took to it like fish to water. Yeah. And so, um, but that was the main thing was, you know, I was at a point to where I didn't want to go back to just a Monday nine to five. Yeah. Um. I knew I wanted to teach, but at that point in time, um, that wasn't in the cards. Um, I had, we kind of made some business decisions that I probably, probably shouldn't have made, moved into a location that I wasn't ready for financially and, um, and wound up kind of cleaning my savings out and, and wound up having to close. Um, so like I said, I wound up going to the city Went they paid for me to go to the police academy and all that kind of stuff. And then I figured out that, uh, if I become an instructor, then I can teach DT for the law for the police department, and I'm right back where I want to be. There you go. And so I wound up doing that. Um, pretty much revamped the DT program at Rome. Got my firearms instructor, all that kind of stuff. And so I was on SWAT. I was running classes everywhere. And then um, 
few years after that, I decided I was going to try another run at a gym. Um, started the forge. Uh, we was kind of doing um, basically the same stuff: boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, ju- things like that. Um, went through that for a while. I was still at Rome, but kind of started having some family issues. Mm-hmm. Um, was going through a divorce and um, had kids, and I was like, you know, I just don't want all my free time from work spent running a gym. Yeah. I want to spend time with my kids. Yeah. And so um, wound up closing. And um, right after, not too long after that, uh, I wound up getting fired from Rome. Um, it is what it is. Um, you know, whether I agree with it or not, it is what it is. Not always up to us, right? It's not. But, you know, me and um, me and my girlfriend had talked about it. And, you know, God had to bring me there to get me where I'm at. Yeah. And um, and it was it was hard because I went from being on a team and being with guys that I thought had my back, uh, that I thought would be with me through thick and thin, and then I got fired and I literally didn't hear from none of them. I think Ooh. I heard from two guys. That's tough. And so was really going through a deep, deep, deep dark hole. And um, one thing about it was it, it kind of it got me back closer to where I needed to be in my faith. And realizing that, hey, you know, God's got this. Yeah. He put me here for a reason. And um, and so I was talking to several agencies. It was kind of getting drug out. I wanted to go to one agency because it was going to put me back on my team that I was on. Um, that didn't work out. I thought, well, I'll go to this other agency. Well, that didn't work out. Uh, but I still had several options. Yeah. Um, my buddy, Brandon Broom, my, one of my best friends in the world, he used to work for the county PD. He went to Walker. Uh, he's like, hey, come up here, man. God's just doing something special. And I thought, all right, I'm coming. And so I wound up up there. And like I said, I did a couple of years up there, but it just, um, I felt like I had, I felt like it was kind of a transition place. Felt like God put me there just to move me to where I'm at. Yeah. And so I got up there. I've been up there about six months and literally ripped my shoulder. Just, it exploded. Uh, Dr. Bushnell pretty much said, hey, it looks like a bomb went off. So I had two pretty gnarly shoulder surgeries that put me on the sidelines for about a year. Um, the good thing, it ha- what's so funny is, um, and Sarah told me, she said, you know, God had to let this happen to slow you down because she knew you wouldn't slow down. No- he knew you wouldn't slow down no other way. Yeah. And, and it's, it's terrible because number one, um, I'm that hard headed. I don't listen. You know, that <laughs> takes that a I, catastrophic injury. Well, I mean, and honestly, but that's just the way it's been in my whole life. Yeah. You know, it's, I was running wide open fighting all the time and I had a detached retina. Yeah. And that's what kind of pulled me back to where I need to be. So here I am working out, training, fight, you know, doing my thing and my shoulder explodes. Mm. And so basically I was off the road about a year. But the cool thing about that time was during that time, I had a year to kind of work on my skill set teaching. Yeah. Uh, I got to revamp our field training program. I put together a, uh, and re totally redid a 55 hour SWAT level one program. So we ran a SWAT school while I was on light duty. Um, so I got to do a lot of cool stuff. And so I look at that. I'm like, you know what? I had to go through all that to get that time in the classroom to prepare me for where I'm at right now. Yeah. And so, um, it's just, it's just wild to see how even good and bad. God lets good things happen to us. God let bad things happen to us. Yeah. And uh, to see through all that how faithful he is and say, hey, even though you're a knucklehead and even though you don't <laughs> listen and even though I have to smack you around sometimes because I, I tell everybody, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. 
Paul said he was. Nope, I got him beat, man. Uh, because I have done, you know, I look at back at my life. I'm like, God, why? Why do you even love me anymore? You know, man. Why? Yeah. Um, and I, I had a, a pastor tell me one time. He said, You know what? God does so much for us. He said, But understand something. If God didn't do anything else for you, if He didn't do one more single thing for you for the rest of your life, He sent Jesus, and you don't need nothing else. Yeah. And I step back, and I'm like, Ooh. Okay, I'll shut up. I'll be quiet. Yeah, you know? yeah. I'll go do what I need to do. I, I read a quote this morning that said, it was Paul Washer, and he said, uh, I've given God so many reasons not to love me, but he does anyway. That's exactly right, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and it's funny. I, you know, we all have struggles. We all have, and we talked about that before, that um, before we started recording, that uh, the majority of crime and the majority of problems in the world are because of people being selfish. Yeah. And we're that way too. Yeah. You know, we, we all are. have our addictions. Yeah. Um, everybody thinks it's hilarious. I'm 50 years old and I've never drank a drop of alcohol in my life. Good for you. Ever. Um, part of it was I grew up with a very old school Southern Baptist preacher dad. Yeah. You know, I just wasn't around it. Right. Um, then when I got to be about 18 or so, I was working security in the bars and you start seeing people act the way they act. And it's like, no, <laughs> the reason you're there, right? I got older and I was traveling and fighting and, and I didn't want some kid that I was training to walk into Applebee's and see me there drinking. Mm. And it, I guess it goes back to that impact thing. Yeah. And so, um, then I got, you know, I was in my forties and stuff and everybody's like, why don't you, why don't you just have one drink? I'm like, I've made it this long. Why would I now? Yeah. <laughs> and I've never done drugs or any kind of thing like that. But I look back at my life and I'm like, God, I never did all that kind of stuff that most people would consider addictions, but we're addicted to other stuff. Yeah. And we put other things in front of God and make other gods in front of him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, that's why I say, I'm like, I'm, I'm the chief of them, you know? I well, maybe for you, it was, it was fighting. Maybe yeah. that was your God. And yeah. God took that away from you because mm-hmm. he wanted you in a different Avenue. And that's as men, you know, we're hard headed and, and we, we need that sign sometimes yeah. that is sadly we can't be fighters forever. No. Like we just get oh. the time runs out. Yeah. You can't be a cop on the street forever. Nope. You know, and you get to these points, and and you would try, like we would, you know, yeah. as men, we try, we want to do these things, but well, we need know, a catastrophic injury. Till my, till my arms fell off, you know. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until you just couldn't do it anymore. Well, me and a buddy, of mine was talking about that just the other day. I said, you know, I think there's two sins that guys, men, deal with worse than anything, and that's pride and lust. And those are the two things that the devil will get us every single yeah. time. And so I think that's you know one of the things that. Pride has always been a big one for me because it's always been, hey, you know, I, I can I can do it. Right? Yeah. My leg might be hanging off, but I can do it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, it was funny because when I had back surgery, the back surgeon told me, he said, no contact sports, no no lifting, nothing like that. So in 98, when I won the national title and there was a newspaper article, I framed it and I put a <laughs> sticky note on it and I sent it to him in the mail. You know, back when people uh, used to mail stuff. Right, right. sticky note says, you ain't as smart as you think you are. <laughs> and so for about two months, he would literally call me at work and cuss me out. And I thought it was hilarious. But, yeah. uh, but you know, I've, just, I've always been one that, you know, that's the worst thing you can do is tell me I can't do something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. My mama would always say, you, you're so hard-headed, I can give you a steel ball and you'll tear it up. Just yeah. Be- yeah. Just because you, <laughs> you don't want quit. Heck yeah. Yeah. And so, but I think those, those two things for us as men are the things that – that we struggle with the most. And and I don't know. I mean, I do know why, but I don't know why. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, as a, as a fighter, like there's, there's some ego there. Mm-hmm. Like you got to believe that you can whip yeah. this other guy when you get in there and he's been training just as hard as you have. Yeah. 
you know, so that's a that's a struggle. I struggle with that at, at jiu-jitsu, and I try to leave my pride at the door, right? Yeah. It doesn't do any good because yeah. I'm still sad when I get smashed by somebody half my age down yeah. there. But it's but, something you got to have, so it's it becomes this struggle for you. you got to have that confidence, but that confidence cannot overwhelm, you know. Confidence versus pride, that's right? exactly right. Yeah. Right? And, and then, you know, humility kicks in, like you were talking about with jiu-jitsu, because, you know, I, I've told guys that I've trained before, there's no worse feeling than, like, sitting on the stool in between rounds and being so tired you can barely pick your arms up. And you look across the ring, and that guy ain't even breathing hard. He's standing up. He's he not even on the stool. And you're like, really, dude? Because <laughs> you know he wants to rip your head off. Yeah. And so, and I guess I dealt with that a lot when it comes to law enforcement because I was kind of that guy on the shift that uh, that the the supervisor said, "Hey, this needs to get done. Go kick in the door." The door kicker, yeah. yeah. Go get it. And I'm like, okay, okay. And so, um, so yeah, man. When when all that happened with Rome and, and all that came out, man, it just it it caught, it smacked me. Yeah. You know, because um, I felt like I was in a. I guess I felt like I was a lot more valuable than I felt after I got fired. Yeah. And then to have them, the guys that I trusted not call and not text and not say, hey, are you okay? Uh, that was even worse. Damn. And so, um, so, yeah, it was a hard situation. But like I said, we go through all those kind of things to to grow us. Yeah. And, and to get us where we need to be. Well, you look at things and you get to you know where you are now. And you look at the series of events that led up to that, yeah. and you understand that it could only have been God. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, whether it's the person you end up married to, the career you have, whatever, wherever you end up in life, you think, if if on this day this thing hadn't happened seven years ago, yeah. then I wouldn't be where I'm at now. And four years before that, this other thing happened that changed yeah. the direct, you know, so we're, you know, you see God's plan. I guess the thing that, like, frustrates me the most is when I get hard-headed, and I don't go the way I'm supposed to go. Yeah. You know, um, it's like, it used to be what was so funny was because, you know, my dad was bivocational pastor. Yeah. He went full time for just a little while and he's like, mm, never again. And he, <laughs> his thing he always said was, I, I'll go full time again when God sings me, sends me a singing telegram from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> and uh, I was like, well, all right then. Yeah. But okay. I mean, I used to laugh about that, but. We get hard-headed, and, and we don't want to listen. You know, yeah. we were talking about that book by Craig Rochelle, Fight. Yeah. And the story that I think that I represent, I kind of resonate so much is when Samson was walking to the Philistine camp. And it was like five miles. Yeah. You know, and he wasn't driving. He wasn't riding a <laughs> bicycle. Foot. He was walking. Yeah. And at every step, he could have turned around. Every step, he could have said, you know what? This is stupid. Yeah. And turned around and went the other way. And I look at my life, and I'm like, man, how many times have I walked toward the Philistine camp when God was saying, hey, stupid? <laughs> you know? I, I literally think God sits up, sits up, sits there sometimes and looks at me and goes, hey, stupid. I'm Listen. sure he said, yeah. You know? yeah it's Everybody's always talking about the guardian angel. Dude, my, mine smokes like two packs of cigarettes and wears a hard hat. <laughs> but, um, but me and my buddy Brandon, we, we all, it's kind of how we challenge each other. We go, hey, don't go near the Philistine camp. There you go. Uh, I ain't even walking toward it. Yeah. I'm staying away from it. And but that's what frustrates me the most as as a dad and as a man, uh, as a Christian, and as a cop, is that I just sometimes, man, I'm just too hard headed to listen. Yeah. And then you get in the middle of junk and you look around and you're like, wait a minute, I, I, I shouldn't even be here. Why am I in the Philistine camp? That's exactly right? Right. <laughs> I don't walk five miles and I hate walking, I hate running. Oh, I despise man. it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I, I think that's just kind of, I don't know, that's our struggles as men, or it is mine. 
it is for a lot of us and it's not all you know not everybody's a fighter not everybody's a cop but we all have that struggle where i need to be the best at whatever it is i'm doing um we had uh craig mcclure on here it's been several weeks ago now and he talked about your time and what you do with your priorities and things and he said a yes somewhere is a no somewhere else exactly right for better for worse you know so it's and and that was the kind of balancing act i had to do when when i closed the gym yeah was I had to make a decision because I love teaching, I love coaching, I love being in the gym. I love it. But I was like, you know what? If I'm in the gym every afternoon, I'm going to miss so much time with my You're kids. You're not with your kids. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can't do that. Yeah. And so, um, and I just, I don't know, with, with my gun classes and stuff, I could run so many more gun classes and probably make so much more money. Yeah. But, and, and make more impact on people. But I would lose that impact on my kids. And to me, they're, they're first. Yeah. You know? And so, um, but yeah, that's exactly right. Where you, where you give your time, you're taking it away from somebody. Yeah, else. it's coming away from something else. And so, yeah. um, so I get it. Um, I don't, I don't know. They just, I just kind of have a, a really huge desire, and I've, I guess I've kind of got it more as I got older, because I kind of start to see, you know. I hope I live to be 130, but you know, it ain't gonna happen. Right? Yeah. I mean, I'm gonna come in sideways on two broke wheels, but whatever. <laughs> but um. I don't know. I guess as I get closer to the finish line, I see how those things are more important. Yeah. And how spending time with my kids is more important. My dad, you know, he's so I'm fifty. He's seventy six. Um, he's got Parkinson's and, and mm-hmm. having some health issues and stuff. And uh, I look at that. I'm like, you know, I remember my dad when he could do this and do that, right? And, and go out and cut firewood all day and do all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, Ooh, yeah. That's probably gonna be me in a yeah, few years. One day, yeah, yeah, for sure. And so uh I just wanna I wanna I wanna run that race good. Yeah. And I wanna finish that race good. I might have got detoured a few times and you know, might have rolled around in the ditch a little bit. You know, <laughs> we all do, man. Yeah. We all do. So But it's you know, at the end of the day it's about that plan. Mm-hmm. And it's about his will and we don't always like it and it ain't always what we think it ought to be. And yeah. you know, you didn't think your shoulder should have gotten torn up or your eye should have gotten injured, no. but if not for that, maybe you'd be some punch drunk fighter somewhere now, you yeah. know, drooling on yourself. And yep, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I don't know. Like I said, it, it works out. God's got it. He's got it taken care of. And then, like I said, I just wanna, I wanna be that influence to my kids and yeah. and and you know, bonus kids, whatever you wanna call them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and be an influence to them. But man, also I just. Um, I see, I count, I guess I count my students at the academy as kids. And like I said, some of them you should. Are, are my age. Yeah. You know, are yeah. a little younger than me. Um, but I just, I want to be a, I want to be an example of them. So and you're, so, you're at the police academy now? Yeah, I work for, I work for the Georgia Public Safety Training Center, which is based out of Forsyth. Okay. And we have regional academies. We have um, one in Savannah, which is where Kevin's at. We have one in Athens. Uh, we have one in Forsyth. We have uh, one in um, what they call Pickens Rome. Yeah. So basically, Pickens is the full time side, and we're supposed to be a part time academy, uh, but we're pretty much running academy classes all year long. Um, so I'm out at Georgia Highlands, and uh, I'm out there Monday to Friday, unless we're off site training somewhere. Right. So, uh, but yeah, we uh, we have um, guys from agencies. We got some from Carrollton. We got some Harrelson County. We got Rome PD guys. We got Floyd County PD, Floyd County SO. Um, trying to think who else we got. I think we got a Lamar County guy, maybe. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so we got guys from kind of from the area. Um, usually, we'll have some from like Chattooga County or whatever when they put some through. So you get them from just different places in the area. Yeah, 
and um, they spend 12 weeks with us and um, try to teach them as much as we can in 12 weeks. So you're getting the best of both worlds where you are now. You're, you're mm-hmm. getting your coaching, you're yeah. teaching, and you're still a cop. Yeah. You know, you're still yeah. doing cop stuff. Yep. And so, you know, again, that's a, that's a testament to God's yeah. plan for us, right, at yeah. all. And probably after about six months, I'll go work part-time somewhere. Yeah. Just kind of get a yeah. thrill every once in a while. Right, and, yeah. And, yeah. and kind of stay sharp on things. I mean, this week's probably my favorite week of the academy because I'm teaching defensive tactics all week. That's your thing, yeah. yeah. And so we were doing strikes and, and um, some takedown stuff today, and we'll work on into more uh, control tactics in all tomorrow. And then they got two days of ground fighting. And Ooh, so, yeah, it's fun, fun stuff. And so, well, you know, and I guess the where a lot of times where you miss the disconnect, and that is um, – a lot of traditional jujitsu stuff doesn't really carry over very well for law enforcement. Yeah. Um, you know, in traditional jujitsu, you might learn 30 ways to choke somebody. Yeah. Not really going to do me a lot of good as a cop. Right. Most agencies are not going to, um, let you do, uh, vascular neck restraints. You know, right. Call them a choke anymore. Yeah. Uh, but they don't want you to do them because of the, because of the optics and because of things that like what happened with George Floyd and all. Um, so you're kind of limited as far as that goes. Um, you know, typically in traditional jujitsu, one of the best positions to be in side control. Yeah. Right. Um, I can't stay in side control chest to chest with somebody on the street. I'm okay if I'm on the side of the road and it's three o'clock in the morning, there's nobody around. Right. But if I'm in the middle of projects and there's 30 people around, you don't want to have your back to anybody. My my head might look like a soccer ball. Yeah. And so making that transition from, uh, traditional martial arts into kind of tweaking it a little bit about I said twerking it tweaking it a little bit so that it kind of works better for law enforcement that's been fun because that's been a real cool challenge yeah well who was it was it Hicks and Gracie that said if you're if they can touch your face you're not doing jujitsu right yeah so I mean you think about sport versus the street and that's like yeah it's a whole different element but you know and I think one of the graces we're talking about it um you know that an officer without options is an accident waiting to happen yeah. And if, if we don't get our guys more hands-on kind of stuff, um, they're going to resort to tasers or pepper sprays or whatever. Um, the problem with those type of things is, let's just say a taser shot. A taser shot optimum distance 7 to 12 feet uh, to get that spread and get that neuromuscular lockout. If you're too close, the spread's too small, and all it is is pain compliance. Right. And if it's too far, the spread's too far, and you might miss with one prong and not hit the other prong. Um, so there's a little sweet spot. Well, the problem is most of the time when I deal with somebody in law enforcement, I'm at like three feet. Yeah. You know, I'm at a distance where I can reach out and take their driver's license and, and smell what they had for lunch. Yeah. So trying to figure out how to incorporate all that. And, and that's what a lot of these younger kids would get. You know, a lot of these young kids ain't never been in a fist fight. Yeah. You know, that's not a thing, thing anymore. We don't do that anymore. Well, that's it's, one of the first thing I ask them. I'm like, Hey, how many of y'all have ever been punched in the face? Yeah. And they're scared. They don't want to raise their hand because they're embarrassed. Yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. And, uh, all these older people are, you know, they've been hit. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. And so um, trying to trying to instill some of that, I guess, um, combative mentality, I guess mm-hmm. you'd say, is that's where the challenge is. And trying to get them to understand that, oh, you have a boo-boo on your finger. Yeah. Suck it up and deal with it. Yeah. Right? Just deal with it. Um, and life's not a video game. You know, you don't, you can't hit reset and get more lives or punch in a cheat code or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so like the first few days of Academy, we pound them with shoot with videos, yeah. like officer involved shootings and just all kind of stuff mm. because they need to understand the reality of it. Right. And so then when we start doing DT, I'm able to kind of 
teach them in a way to kind of help them see, hey, this this is how I could control this situation uh, and make it easy for me to control the situation. The problem is 20, 30 years ago, cops won fights because they were better trained. Yeah. It's not that way anymore. No. You got guys training in judicial schools. You got guys just watching YouTube videos and beating the snot out of each other in the backyard. Yeah. You know? Everybody knows something nowadays. Everybody knows something that's right. Yeah. Or everybody took karate when they were kids or whatever. Right. Or boxed. And, and so you're not going into the fight better trained. And then you come in with a kind of a a crybaby mentality. Oh. You know, so now you're already two steps behind. Yeah. Um, and we as cops are behind anyway because we're usually working off a reactive situation. Right. Um, you know, Foresight Institute does some studies, and, and what they do is they take a, a decently trained officer, and they say for me to see you start to draw a gun, it takes me, if I'm a decently trained officer, about a second and a quarter to a second and a half to get, that, to get my gun out of the holster right. and get on target because I'm having to beat the retention my adrenaline's cranking. I've got a, you know, my brain's got to fine motor yeah, skills go my, out the window. That's exactly yeah. right. Uh, a well-trained officer, you're talking about a SWAT guy, it's going to take about a second. Yeah. But even still, a second. Yeah. A second gets you killed. What is the the 21-foot rule or the 18-foot yeah, rule? But the 21-foot rule has been debunked. Okay. Because the issue was, um, even though when they set up that scenario, even though the officer didn't know which time that person was going to approach them, they still knew they were coming sometime. Yeah. So they still had a little bit of a little bit of a foreknowledge. It's yeah. kind of like that. Um, you seen that movie Sully with Tom Hanks? Yeah. So you know when they're in the uh, um, when they're in the little uh, committee meeting or whatever, and he starts talking about the human factor. Yeah. It's the same exact situation. Uh, You're okay. taking the human factor out because I might not know if he's coming this time or next time or whatever, but I know he's still coming. Right. So I'm already on high. So alert. you're there. Yeah. yeah. So you're already on high alert. The problem with our situation is most of the time we don't know. You know, mm-hmm. we'll be standing here talking to a guy and let's just say, you know, it's a domestic situation. We're standing here talking to a guy and, you know, mama's got a big old handprint on the side of her face where he smacked her. <laughs> yeah. You know, you're like, all right, buddy, I'm going to need you to run put your hand money back. And next thing you know, he's grabbed a gun or grabbed the knife. Yeah. And we're already behind the eight ball and we're having to react. Um, so that's one of the things I've really pushed and tried to try to instill in them is um, you can't back up. You can't. You can't you can't backpedal. Yeah. You know, if I start backing up trying to draw my gun, who knows what's behind me? I mean, right now I can't even tell you what's behind me except the door. Yeah. Right? There may if I'm in a house, there may be a coffee table, there may be a couch. I may be on the side of the road and there's gravel and an uneven hill. Yeah. You can't do that. So I have to drive forward and address the threat. Um, which is counter productive for a lot of people. Yeah. And so you really have to force it and beat it in your own brain. But if you don't come from some to- some type of combat mindset whether it be football or um wrestling or jujitsu or whatever it's really hard to make that change and make that connection yeah right i can honestly tell you probably and we work on it for a little bit hey if you see his hand dip for his pocket you got to dive in catch that make sure that hand don't come out of that pocket and you already having a jujitsu background you're gonna be like oh, okay yeah and you'll make the connection yeah when they've been doing this their whole life uh. <laughs> they can't make the connection yeah you know and then it's twice as hard yeah. And so uh, we had that discussion today. I said, well, you know, if me and, and was talking about the other lieutenant, the other instructor, I said, if we're standing here talking and he pulls a knife, what am I supposed to do? We'll step back, create distance, shoot him. I said, okay. So well, what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to put that to the test. So this week, what I'm <laughs> going to do is I'm going to give the other guy a SIM gun, a simunition gun. So what a simunition gun is, it looks just like a regular gun, right? but it shoots a, a, um, a plastic projectile that has a paint 
tip in the end. It's kind of like high-speed paintball. Yeah. So it operates just like a regular gun, and it hurts twice as bad as paintball. Um, I said, but here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give that to the other instructor. I'm going to put a white T-shirt on him, and I'm going to take a plastic training knife, and I'm going to coat it in red lipstick. Okay? Mm. We're going to have our scenario. I may attack him. I may not. And we may run this scenario a few times. But when he sees me start to move forward his, with the knife in my hand, his goal is to step back, draw, and shoot me. And we're going to see how that works out for you. And uh, every other time I've ran it, it did not work out well. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, they might have got one off, might have. Very my, you get one off, is it accurate? You know, if, if you are able to squeeze the trigger, did you shoot yourself in the foot? Yeah. Or, or did it miss that person and, and go on somewhere else? And that's right. the thing in law enforcement. There's a uh, there's an ambulance chasing attorney attached to every bullet. Oh, <laughs> so you don't know you don't know where it goes. Yeah, right. And so if you're involved in a shooting, you know, yeah, I may I may hit that guy five or six times, but that one, yeah, that one could cost me. Yeah, um, and that's why you look at that um, that guy. Where was it at? Where that guy was in the mall, and they had the active shooter, and the guy shot the dude like he shot the the active shooter like five or six times. Yeah, at a distance of like twenty or twenty five yards on the move. Yeah, and was it Texas? It was a fantastic shot. Yeah, it was. It, I think it was Texas. I don't remember, but it yeah. was. It was. It was really, really good weapon handling. Really yeah. good uh, marksmanship. Um, but you have to be able to train into their brain that combat mindset mm-hmm. of there's a threat. I got to go get it. Right. And um, and it's hard in younger generation. It's really hard. Um, we have to be careful how we train them in certain situations. Um, so used to be, let's just say we're going to use this room. I would say, all right, Danny, here's the deal. Um, there's a bad guy in that room. Mm-hmm. may have a gun may not go deal with it right and i'd send you in and being the age you are you've probably had a lot of jobs or a lot of things you had to do that you just kind of had to sink or swim right you figured it yeah. out the problem is this younger generation is not mm-hmm. so instead what i have to do with them to build those positive training scars is i have to say okay listen here's the deal you're going to go in that room there's going to be a guy he's going to have a silver gun in his hand you're going to say, sir, drop the gun. He's going to say no, and he's going to raise the gun. At that point in time, you're going to shoot him twice in the chest. All right. Okay. <laughs> we run that scenario. We yeah. run it two or three times. So then we come back the second time, and I say, okay, here's – or the next time, and I say, here's the deal. There's a guy going to be in that room. He's going to have, have on an extra shirt, whatever. I'll describe him. So he's going to have a silver gun in his hand. You're going to tell him to put the gun down. He's either going to raise it, and you're going to shoot him in the chest, or he's going to drop it. One of the two things. Right. So now I've given them a little bit of decision-making. Yeah. But I've still made it kind of safe, and I'm just building more training scars. So we'll run that two or three times with positive outcomes. Mm-hmm. Well, the next time I say, okay, you're going to go in this room. Describe the guy. He may have a silver gun in his hand. He may have a cell phone in his hand. Mm. He may have a banana in his hand. I don't know. Yeah. But now you're just making the situation more and more difficult. Um, that's kind of how you have to treat this younger generation. And honestly, it's probably the way you, you have to treat them – in any kind of combat situation, whether it be boxing or jujitsu or whatever, yeah. you're going to have to build it more as a store, a, a, um, a stair step kind of thing. And so well, that's been the, the challenge that I've enjoyed is seeing how I have to progress as an instructor to help this younger generation. You have model. to reinvent what you're doing, right? Because you, yeah. these guys you're talking about have to unlearn mm-hmm. habits and behaviors. Oh, yeah. And, and it's, it's got to be faster than, you know, you're making decisions at the same speed you used to push a button. But exactly. we're now we're talking about life and death. Is that right? And there was no cheat codes. There was no resets. Yeah. And uh, it was funny. I did a video one time with my son, who was five at the time. And uh, we were we were talking on the way home. And I had been at training. And I was just frustrated. 
because that was the kind of mentality I was getting. And uh, so Bear goes, you know, Daddy, that's just dumb. This is like <laughs> this is like real world. This is life or death. You can't push a button and get more life. Yeah. I said, you know what? Hang on, son. And so I hit record, and I'm like, you know what? A five-year-old can understand this. Right, say it again. How can I don't know? <laughs> but, you know, in our, in our group this time, we probably got, I can't tell you, we got two or three that are 19 years old. Wow. You know, by law, they're really not even allowed to carry a gun. Yeah. But they're going to be police officers. Man. And one of them is so funny. Uh, he failed EVOT this last time, um, which is driving. Uh. And, and he, <laughs> but what's so funny is he said, you know, I don't know why they're surprised. I've only been driving for like two years. Yeah, right. He's got no experience at yeah. all. It's like he, the kid's been driving two years, and y'all put him in a patrol car. Maybe he needs to, to be all this evasive. Yeah, driving stuff. put him in the passenger seat for a couple of years. You know, I mean something. Yeah, but uh, but they sent him right back, so he's going through it again. But uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's everybody keeps saying you know if the draft happens we're in we're in trouble or whatever because but um we just have to be uh we have to be more in tune with how we train people. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of scared to see what firearms are going to look like next week, oh, next man. week's firearms. And so I'm kind of scared how that's going to go. Yeah. Um, what we used to do to embarrass people was with my buddy, Brandon, he's got a son named Lane. Lane's 13 and Lane probably handles a gun better than most adult men. Right. Yeah. I'm talking about, it don't matter if it's an AR 15, if it's a handgun, he'll just run it. He don't Good care. for him. He's nasty. And my daughter used to be really good. Like when she would go shooting all the time, she's got her. I bought her a pistol. Yeah. Um, that little Glock forty four twenty two, and do she'll run mag changes. She'll do anything. <laughs> and uh, we just kind of got out of practice lately. Yeah. But um, but I, I, I feel like, and I'm grateful because I'm at where I'm at where I'm at is because I see that and I see some of the lacks that we have and what we need to do. And I feel like God put me there to kind of raise those guys up. Yeah. And bridge that gap. Yeah. And so uh, I'm excited about that part. Um, again, I'm still kind of, I don't know. I'm kind of like, eh, I hate mornings. I hate getting up in the morning. I hate doing PT at 730 in the morning. Yeah, but it's nice to have the same hours, the same days every week, right? I mean, it's. You know, you know when you're going to get off. You know when you're going to go in. Yeah. You don't have to go to training. You don't have to go to court and all this other kind of stuff. Well, now you're able to go to Bears football games. Yeah. and I'm able to go you to know, ball games and basketball games. Yeah. And, and so that part's really nice. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's a balance for me. It's a balance to try to figure out, you know, I guess my place sometimes. Yeah, that's tough. And so, uh, but yeah, it is what it is. And now I'm looking at hopefully, um, I want to, I'm, I'm supposed to have already have it done as part of the leadership program for the Mighty Oaks Warrior Foundation. Um, so what they are is a faith-based program. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of Chad Robichaud or not. Mm-mm. Chad is the, um, he's the founder of it. Chad's a former uh, force recon marine. Uh, he's a cop. He was a uh, Bellator and Strike Force world champion. What's his name again? Chad Robichaux. He has a fourth degree black belt under the Gracies. Maybe I'd know him, his face if I saw him. Yeah. He's a fourth degree under the Gracies. So he's a little a little bad dude. Okay. But um, as a as special forces guy in the Marines, um, then he got out and was running a jiu-jitsu school. He had like 1,000 students or something crazy. But he talked about um, it was empty. And in his book, he has an incredible book called Unfair Advantage. Um, and it talks about how he found God. And he was sitting in the closet, literally, with his service weapon in his mouth. Oh. And his wife, they were separated. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, she was knocking on the door or whatever. And that's the only reason he came out of the closet. Because he man. didn't want his family to find him that way. Right. But God restored him. And, uh, man, he, so he started Mighty Oaks. And what they were seeing was 22 veterans a day kill themselves. Yeah. 
And uh, he said, this just ain't cool. So they started doing a retreat, uh, a week-long retreat in different places all over the country. It's completely free. Um, if you can pay your airfare, they would like for you to, but if you can't, they'll take care of it. Um, so I, when I was kind of going through a really dark place in my life, well, they also started a first responder program. And um, because they started seeing kind of the same numbers. In first well, I was going to ask if you knew what those numbers might be. Yeah, it's like one one every three or four days. Man. It's not nowhere near as much as veterans. That's still a not lot, that, though. Well, there's also not that many, you yeah. know, compared. If you're talking about veterans compared to first responders, right. there's not that many. Um, but they started seeing the same kind of numbers. And they're like, we can't do this. Yeah. And so then they started doing um, a first responder program. And so I went to one of their retreats in uh, San Luis Obispo, California. And it was such a really cool experience, man. And, and just to see guys out there who'd have been involved in some really, really gnarly stuff um, and just see God break them and put them back together yeah. was really cool. That and is. So, that's a cool um, thing. So hopefully I can get all that stuff done by the end of the year and try to get plugged in with them. And, and do some leadership stuff with them, which would be really fun. That would be and, cool. Uh, and another way to make an impact. That's, yeah, it's a really needed thing right now. Yeah. I think we, we we hear 22 a day all the time, um, but we don't hear the numbers about the, the police officers yeah. and even you know EMTs and firefighters who have you know their own set of issues. That oh, yeah. Well, you know, when you're in the military and you're deployed, you know every single day there's that chance. You're, yeah. you're put into it every day. Um, and law enforcement, it's kind of a, it's a wave. It's up and down, up and down, up and down, up and yeah. down. You know, one minute you may be going to a call to where, um, you're literally, um, dragging somebody out of a car that's just mangled. Yeah. You know, and the next minute you're getting sent to, a, or right after that, you're getting sent to a call where some ladies call because somebody stole their garbage can lid, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and two of my buddies that were, uh, in that stack of that shooting the other week, after they were interviewed by the, G, by the GBI, I had to go right back to the road that night, work all night, answer oh, a call. Oh, man. You know, they were just involved in shooting. Well, but you can't. You're shorthanded now. Everybody's shorthanded, yeah. so it's not like you can sign. You can go home for the rest of the shift and take a couple of days off. Yeah. And that's what I try to tell people in academy. It's like, you know, it's not an issue of I can, you know, guy bails on a traffic stop, I get in a foot chase, we run – 400 yards, whatever. We get into a fight. I have to drag him back to the car. My, my uniform's destroyed. I got blood on me or whatever. Right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get back in my car. I'm going to take him to the jail. I'm going to do my paperwork. I'm going to go right back to work. Go finish the shift, yeah. You know? uh, we had an incident sitting down in South Rome one night. We got in a fight with a guy. Um, he sliced both brachial arteries across oh. the floor. Um, I mean, I'm talking blood was everywhere. And uh, I fought with him, got him in cuffs. I walk him out to the car, and I'm standing there. And uh, my supervisor goes, hey, man, look out. And I'm standing there while EMS is checking him out. And the way his hands was turned, blood was just going uh, and it was all over my duty belt, all over the front of my pants, everything. And so I literally text my ex-wife and I said, hey, uh, I got to come home and change. I'll be home in a second. I said, I got blood all over my uniform. Don't freak out. It's not mine. I, that, was my, that was my caveat. I was like, I got blood all over my uniform. It's not mine. Yeah, I'm yeah. Uh, you know, but um, but that was the deal, man. You just you change clothes and you go right ahead and do it again. But yeah. you got paperwork to finish. And, oh, um, man. And so it's, it's what around here, you don't have as many like just life-altering calls that happen like on a, on a, reg, on a steady basis. Like right. It's somewhere like Atlanta. Yeah. Here it's more what you call the slow drip. It's just constant, 
this and this and this. And every call you go to, you take a little bit of that call with you. Yeah. You know, whether it's good or bad. Uh, and we talked about that today. Every interaction you have with people, somebody, they're either going to have a good interaction with you or a bad interaction. Yeah. And you're going into people's houses when they've had probably the worst day of their lives. They're, they're you know, them and their wives are fighting or, yeah. you know, the kid's doing this, the kid's doing that or, or whatever. And you're getting thrown in that situation with very little information. And then you've got to, you got to doctor feel it, man. You right. Know, you got to go in and try to do something with it. Well, it's never good, right? We don't ever call the, the police never show up at our house for something, you know, no. you, you won the publisher's clearing house. The cops yeah. came and, yeah. you know, delivered your, check. your check. Yeah, no, yeah. it's not, it's no. always bad. Because if they say that, it's usually you got a warrant and they're coming to get you. So right. You know, yeah. Yeah. Don't ask me how I know. Well, anyway, I mean, <laughs> I might've done something like that before, but anyway, but yeah, you, you're, you don't call the police because everything's going good. Yeah. And every once in a while, you'll see like a story on Facebook where, you know, some little kid invited kids to his birthday party and nobody showed up but the police came. Right, yeah. And those are great feel-good stories, but typically that's just not what happens. Well, you can't. There's not enough hours in the day and there's not enough manpower, you know, for all you guys to go to everybody's birthday party. Oh, yeah. well, and you guys you know, don't make enough money to buy lunch for all the homeless people in town, you know. And and you have the – you get those opportunities to to do a few things. Yeah. And those are the things that I kind of live for on patrol. Um, there was a couple of guys up in North Rome that were homeless that, you know, every time I saw them, uh, one of them was a little black guy named Grady, a little mm-hmm. short guy, funny as can be. Um, I don't know why I was never a sergeant, but he always called me Sarge and I get out of the car. I'm like, Hey Sarge, how you doing? I'm like, Hey Grady, how you doing buddy? And we talked for a minute, just, you know, chatting. I'm like, well, you had anything to eat today? And he's like, no, Sarge, I ain't had nothing to eat. And so I'd keep a milk crate in the back of my car and I'd keep a couple of cans of tuna, a couple of cans of soup. Yeah. And most of the time it was for, you know, if I got a call out or, or something and I was going to be late and couldn't grab food, I had something in my car to eat. Right. But a lot of times I just kept extra stuff for people. Um, we would always go to uh, Walmart when they put those little fleece blankets on sale for like five bucks. Yeah. Dude, I'd go buy like five or six of them, throw yeah. them on patrol car. Um, I'd take like 15 or 20 bucks and go to the dollar store and tell my kids, go buy me 15 stuffed animals and put them in my car. Because, you know, you go to a wreck and mom and daddy's hurt and the kid's squalling. Dude, you give them a teddy bear and it it helps things a lot of times. So those little things you can do. But, you know, being able to go buy a kid a bicycle because somebody stole his bicycle, you just can't do a lot of that. Yeah. You know, and so. um, Well, there's plenty of negative out there, too. Oh, yeah. You know, you get on you get, you get on Facebook or Instagram and you watch a video and then there's a million videos that follow it. And lately, I don't know what it is about my feed lately. Maybe I clicked on the wrong thing, but it's these negative interactions with police officers, yeah. like one after the other. Yeah. It's, and, and sometimes we do it to ourselves. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes we step on our own ding ding. But a lot of times it's you're getting 20 seconds of the video and you're not getting the previous minutes where right. everybody amped it up. Yeah. And, or everybody did this or that. Uh, I was watching one the other day. I don't know if you've ever seen that guy on um, TikTok, uh, Fridays with Frank. Mm-mm. He's a dude. You guys know him? Frank I'm not on TikTok. I got to get on there. From, uh, what, Sheriff Polk Cal- Cal- uh, County? Uh, Cal or? County, Arizona. That's what it is. In Arizona. Yeah. Super funny guy. Very knowledgeable deputy. So he pulled this guy over, and he's asking for the guy's license. The guy's kind of being, you know, a pain in the butt about it. And he's like, well, what if I don't give it to you? And Frank goes, well, I'm going to drag you out of that window. I mean, <laughs> straight up honest, I'm, you don't give me your license, I'm going to pull you out of the window. Yeah. So then the guy hits record on his phone. Well, that's going to stop things, right, or make well, things better. No, he puts a record on his phone. Yeah. He goes, oh, so you said you're going to drag me out of your window. And Frank's like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
Yeah. That is what I said, but you cut off the first part of the yeah, conversation, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> because he's just trying to get trying to get YouTube uh, hits or whatever. Right. And a lot of those videos are just like that. Yeah. It's they're they're trying to get they're trying to get the people riled up and trying to pe- get people to think of it. I've been around a lot of cops in my life. Most of them are trying to do a good job. Yeah. You yeah. know, there are there are some that are dirtbags. I've yeah. seen I've seen cop listen, I knew of one police officer that stole twenty dollars off a dead body. Oh, and he spent like 15 years in prison for it for 20 bucks. Wow. Uh, I know one police officer that was, um, giving information to, uh, drug dealers. Um, he got busted for that. He got like sentenced to 50 years or something crazy. Man. Um, the majority of cops in this world are trying to do a good job and they're trying to do a hard job. Well, why do you sign up for a job where you're going to risk your life and not make a ton of money for it? Like you, you're probably in there trying to do the right thing. Yeah. You know, Most people, you get some that are there because they were bullied, as, you know, in school and they want some revenge. Right. You know, uh, you get some that really want to make a difference and you get some that just, uh, I don't, I don't know. They just want to like drive cool cars and carry a gun or something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, you're exactly right. And the majority of guys want to do a good job. They want to do what's right. Yeah. And they want to help people. Yeah. Um, but wanting to help people is not the same as catering to people. Yeah. Yeah. And um and that that's one thing I've never I've never been all about, you know, is catering people. I don't I don't care who you are, I don't care who you work for, I don't care who you know, you know. Yeah. That was the thing about when I worked up in Walker was I worked for an elected official. Yeah. And that's hard because everybody knows the sheriff and everybody's got, to, you know, everybody's like, I'll call the sheriff. It's like, oh, here's my phone. You want to call? Yeah. Him? You want to use my out. phone? <laughs> yeah. It's not mean you're going to get out of this ticket. Right. But, um, but it puts you in a hard spot because everybody knows everybody. Um, and they think that makes a lot of difference. Yeah. And so, um, so, you know, like I said, sometimes everybody likes to see firefighters come. They cheer and wave when the firefighters yeah, come. And they, yeah. fuss, they pitch fit and fuss when we come. And so, unless yeah. it's to, you know, take somebody to jail that's hurting them or whatever. Right. And even then, man, I, dude, I've been on domestic calls where the guy was beating the woman up and you try to arrest the guy and the lady tries to jump on your back. There's a hundred episodes of cops, right? Yeah. Where that happens. Yeah. And she calls the police and then you guys show up and she's like, don't take him to jail. I love him. What? He was just beating you up a minute ago. And <laughs> you sometimes it's because he's the, he's the financial provider. Right. Um, I went to a call on Christmas one night mm. and I get there. And it's in some housing authority apartments. I get there. Uh, the Christmas tree's laying in like 27 pieces. Uh, There's picture frames busted everywhere. The TV's got a hole in it. There's just stuff trashed everywhere. Um, lady's holding on to her arm. She's got blood dripping from her lip. So I'm start talking to her, and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, well, man, me and my boyfriend, we're here with family. And he started drinking about lunch, and this is like, 10 30 11 o'clock at night it's oh, like he started drinking about lunch and and we just kind of started arguing and fussing uh and he put his hands on me and he hit me um kept on hitting me well two weeks before they got into it he had pushed her off the porch and she fell and broke her arm and she had to have pins put in her arm so that's why she's holding her arm because he's literally dragging her <clears throat> through the living room by her cast pulls her cast off her arm then starts beating her with a cast <sighs> So he's not there. I take charges on him and file for warrants and they arrest him. She f- sends a, uh, a letter to the DA's office wanting to drop charges because he is the, the only He's money paying the bills. Yeah, he's paying the bills yeah. and they can't survive without his income and he can't go to prison. Um, but yet he pushed her off the porch and broke her arm. And so I don't understand it sometimes. Yeah. And, but again, you know, 
that's the difference in how a guy's mind works and how a female's mind works. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I, I can't fault them because they have yeah. that whole nurturing mentality and we just don't. Well, they just want to make sure their kids get fed. And if it costs them a black eye, then it just that's does. That's exactly right. You know? That's exactly right. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you get called to those kind of situations. And then when you come handle it, oh, the cops are jerks. They took daddy to jail. You can't win, right? Yeah. Not at all. Not uh, even a bit. So, but you know what? Um, it, it's like, did you ever watch that TV show Southland? I've never seen that. It's a cop show. It's on Hulu. It's yeah. pretty intense. Um, but it's pretty uh, it's pretty realistic to the real world. I'll check it out. And so uh, there's a, a guy, he's like a field training officer on there. He's an old salty veteran. Yeah. And he makes a statement that I've, I've quoted many times. He's, I said, you know what? I have a front row ticket to the greatest show on earth. Every night, right? Every single <laughs> night. Because you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. And that's what I, t- I told him in mandate the very first day. I said, you know, this is a career you're stepping into. Some of you guys come from working in the jail. Some of you guys are fresh out of high school. I said, but this is a front row seat to the greatest show on earth. Oh, man. And you will, you know, you'll never be bored. Well, you just, you know, we, we can watch, I don't know, apes in the wild, mm-hmm. you know, and we got a good idea of what they're going to do. Yeah. And it gets ugly and they do ape things and whatever, but like people are wild, mm-hmm. man. Like there ain't no telling what somebody's going to do. No, not at all. Because the people you deal with that are normally no problems whatsoever. Yeah. They'll be the ones trying to chase you with a baseball bat. Yeah, well, you the beer put people in a high stress situation. Something goes wrong. Their wife does this or that, and their kids and their you know their mortgage and whatever's on their mind, and they snap and things go crazy. Yeah, and, and they and they don't know even know what they did. Oh man! Um, and I've always said I wish that when I started my career, I had wrote some of this stuff down because you have man, a heck of a book, wouldn't you, dude? Some of the <laughs> and you're always like when people find out you're a cop, they ask you two questions. Number one, have you ever shot anybody? Uh, right. Always. Um, I worked a security detail, a bodyguard job for a guy named Bobby Bones. Bobby Bones is one of the biggest uh, DJs on iHeartRadio. Okay. Uh, yeah. He plays a little music group called the Raging Idiots. <laughs> and uh, I think he's actually on uh, American Idol. He's like one of the hosts or something. Right. I don't know. But anyway, I did a security detail for him. And so when the guy was prepping me for it, um, he said, listen, they're going to ask you about five times if you've ever shot anybody. Yeah. I yeah. said, okay. But that's the first thing people always ask, and that's what he asks. I walk in the door, hey, Bobby, I'm James. He's like, hey, man, you're a cop, right? I'm like, hey, he said, you ever shot anybody? I'm like, no, not yet. Yeah. But this conversation, no. Yeah, anyway, we're headed but, that uh, way. Yeah. But um, they always ask if you if you ever shot anybody, and they always ask if you got good cop stories. Mm. And I'm like, you know. What's the worst thing you've ever seen, James? Yeah, that's exactly they, right. yeah, or, yeah. Or, And most of the time it's like, what's the stupidest call you've ever gone on? All and right, I can live with like, that. Okay, so probably uh, that time in South Rome when the guy sent his family to, to Kentucky Fried Chicken to get food, and they brought him back a Coke, and he wanted sweet tea, and he called 911. Yeah, uh, it, sometimes. Do you? I mean, do you have to respond? Sometimes they- <laughs> you do. Sometimes the supervisor's like, yeah, we're, we're not. Just not going. going. Yeah, we're not going. <laughs> um, but, you know, we get the calls that nobody else wants to go to. Yeah. Like, if it's 2 o'clock in the morning and some lady walked in her house and found a snake in her house, they're calling us. Calling the police. Yeah. yeah. You know, who else are we going to call? I mean, what? Yeah, who gets the snake? I don't yeah, know. The, the firefighters, they're they're all asleep in their own bed. Yeah. You know? yeah. They all sleep together, but they're sleeping in the same bed. <laughs> so dig but, at um, the fire department. That's yeah, great. Yeah. Well, I pick on them all the time. Well, and, you're supposed to, right? There's that. Yeah. Well, every year, and it pops up on my memory. So Bear used to play with, like, the um, – uh, the Mr. Potato Heads. Yeah. And so he made a Mr. Potato Head one day and it had the big lashes and the little nose and the earrings and the big, you know, lipstick lips and had a fireman hat on there. Oh. And she said, he said, hey, daddy. I said, yo, buddy. He said, uh, do all firemen wear makeup? And I'm like, 
Yeah, buddy. Yeah, they yes, do. they do. And so every year I post that picture with that conversation on my Facebook. I'll memory. be looking for that. Yeah, every year it pops back up, and I'm like, "Yes, son. Yes, oh, they we got to have a fireman on next." This is. A- <laughs> Go ahead. We, we rag each other, but you know what, dude? Um, I, I've known a lot of good ones. Yeah. And uh, actually, I, I had one that worked with me in Walker County. He was a fireman for like 12 years, and then he came to the good side. And mm-hmm. I said, "Hey, you got tired of being the real team's water boy, didn't you?" Oh. And, uh, but man, I, I've. <laughs> There's a lot of them, man, that that uh, cricket holder. I don't know if you know cricket or not. Uh, yeah, and yeah. So we had a shooting down in South Rome one night. Um, drive-by shooting. Guy comes by. There's a dude on the front porch and a female on the front porch. Uh, shoots the girl first. It goes in right here. Comes out on the other side. Uh, single mom, three kids. Uh, the guy that at the house was standing in the doorway, he sees it. He catches one in the stomach, and as he turns around, the guy shoots him twice in the back. Mm. he's sitting there in the chair talking to me just like we're talking right now. The girl's laying on the floor. She can't hardly breathe. Uh, um, we're screaming for help on the radio. We need fire. We need EMS. Yeah. They're staged down the road because we can't tell them where the, where the shooter is. Right. Um, we're like, listen, we got police. We got 15 cops down here with rifles. I think we're okay. <laughs> um, I've got, we're dealing with a girl. She's literally blowing up chunks of lung. Like she's got a sucking chest wound. She's probably not going to make it. Yeah. Um, I grabbed my med kit and I had a, what's called a chest seal. Um, it's basically like a, a sticky piece of plastic. Um, and they're kind of like, you remember the old fly traps, you know, the little sticky one. Yeah. yeah. If they yeah. ever lay on the top of their self. You, you yeah. They're just done. Yeah. Well, I'm fixing to put it on her and she goes, ah, throws her hand up in the air and she knocks it out of my hand. And when she does, it folds over. Oh. And I'm like, well, crap. Um, so I don't have anything. So I take the plastic that the the um, thing came out of, and I make a chest seal out of it, but I can't find tape for anything. Right. Well, right before that, Cricket had looked at his battalion chief or whatever. He's like, look, they're calling for help. I'm going. He grabbed his go bag, and here he comes. Bless his heart. He had to walk probably about a block, block and a half to get to Unarmed with this guy out there somewhere, yeah. And so he comes in the front door, and he goes, Manning, what do you need? What do you need? And I said, Tape. He said, what kind of tape? I said, sticky tape. Any tape. <laughs> and so he throws me some tape, and we put a chest seal on that chick. And so we're covered in blood. Um, EMS gets there, and I'm like, look, we'll put her on the stretcher. We're already covered. Who cares? Yeah. Um, and so Brandon Pleasure, that runs Combat Market, mm-hmm. he was my sergeant. Brandon um, looks at her, and he says, honey, it's going to be okay. We're going to get you some help. You're going to be all right. And she looks up at Brandon, and she goes, nope, I'm out of here. Took one breath, and I went. Oh, my gosh. So I snatched her up under the arms. He grabbed her legs. We'd get her thrown in the back of the ambulance. And uh, she wound up having three emergency surgeries and lived. Holy smokes. But moral of the story is, um, you know, Cricket came to us when we needed him. Yeah. And so I I pick on them a lot. Yeah. They, yeah. They, 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 they come through when you need them. They do, right? They always show up. Yeah. And so uh, so I'm, I'm thankful for them, even though I give them a hard yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, they're, you're like contractually obligated as a cop or <laughs> a firefighter so. to make fun of the so. other. And I used to pull up. So there's a one fire station out kind of in the middle of nowhere in Walker County. And I'd pull up in their uh, in their driveway, in their parking lot. And I'd turn my intercom on and I'd start singing them lullabies. At one o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, just to be that guy. Uh, just when they thought they were going to get to sleep through a whole night. Yep. There's Manning in the parking There's lot. Manning with in the parking lot being <laughs> me. Yep. So. Good stuff. It's fun. I mean, it's all, you know, it's a brotherhood. The whole first responder community doesn't matter. You know, EMS, fire, oh, yeah. you know, police. Yeah, I know you've had Andrew on here. I mean, Andrew have always been super tight. And, yeah. And, you know, guys like Meringue and people like that. Um, you know, I'm. 
I love those guys, man. The EMTs, they've they've been there a lot of times and helped out. Yeah. And uh, you know, stick a finger in here, hold this down, whatever. And so, uh, but yeah, you're right. It's it's a brotherhood, even though we give each other a hard time. Um, and sometimes, you know, the guys from EMS or fire or whatever, they're the ones that check on you more than than the police do. Yeah. Uh, me and Andrew, man, we've been through it, and you know, it's it's always it may be two or three days, mm-hmm. but he'll send me a message like, "Hey, brother, how you doing?" Yeah. You know, just checking in. Yeah. And so. Uh, well, he, you know, he understands how important that is because yeah. it's important for somebody to check on him too. That's exactly right. You know, and he's got his people that. And, and that's one of the things Mighty Oaks talks about is, uh, is corner men. Yeah. Having guys in your corner, yeah. you know, and, uh, and I look at it, you know, being a fighter, I know how important a corner man is. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been in fights before and it's, you know, two or 3000 people screaming their head off and my corner guys just saying, Hey, won't you throw one, two, three, two. Yeah. Just like we're talking right here. Yeah. And I'd be like, okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> you know, but I can hear his voice amongst all the chaos. Yeah. And that's how I look at it, what they call Corman, the guys that you got that's got your back. Those are the guys that reach out in the chaos and say, hey, you doing okay? Yeah. Do you need me? Do you need anything? Yeah. And I always say it's the difference between 6 p.m. and 3 a.m., friends. Mm-hmm. 6 p.m., friends, you can call them and say, hey, let's go get some. That's easy, eat. right? Let's go play golf. Let's watch football. Yeah. Let's do whatever. Let's go barbecue. They may even go to a Bible study with you. They may go to church with you. Um, but it's that 3 a.m., friend, that you call and they answer every single time. Yeah. And you can tell when they answer the phone that they're pulling their clothes on, saying, "Hey, where, where are you at? Where yeah. am I at? Yeah. Where am I going?" And so that—that's—that's that's what you need. You gotta have them three a.m. friends, man. Oh, three a.m. friends. I love it. That's it. The problem, I think, is as a pastor, everybody thinks you're their three a.m. friend. <laughs> Listen, I've been there, man. I've been there. Yeah, yeah. You know, you yeah, know man, where we live, man. Was the end of an intersection, and people literally would drive drunk all the time, run the stop sign, go across the road into the ditch, and come to our house. <laughs> You know, everybody's like, that's where the preacher lives. Let's go check on the Let's go hang out with the preacher. Let's go talk to the preacher. Middle of the night. Yeah. And so uh, I've, yeah, I get it, man. Yeah. That, that preacher life, not a, not an easy life. It's not, man, but it ain't, I mean, sounds like it could be much worse, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Nobody yet, nobody's ever shot at me. People don't try to beat me up yet. I mean, it's a matter of time, right? But it's, you know, the way the world's headed. Yeah. I think especially when we were younger, Nobody really wanted to disrespect the preacher because, you know, back then, um, God was kind of looked at as the, you know, that big man in the sky who, you know, shove a lightning bolt up your rear end. If you get out of right. Yeah. Way. Yeah. Don't mess with the preacher. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's got he's got back up. And uh, I think that's kind of the way it was when I was a kid. Nobody wanted to make, you know, mess with the preacher. Um, yeah. And when I was in high school, we had uh, 10 guns stolen of our house as, you know, at the pastorum. Right. And everybody freaked out. They're like, well, they stole from the preacher. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, all the, the people to steal from. That's right. So, yeah. are, you, are you from around here? Yeah, I grew up in Rome. I went to Cusa. Okay. Well, I started in Cape Spring and then went to Cusa. I got you. Yeah. So my pa- my dad pastored um, Cedar Creek Baptist down at Foster's Mill. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I grew up down there. Um, went to church there pretty much from when I was three till maybe sixteen, and then I went to State Line Baptist for a while. State line, I got yep. you. And then left state line, um, kind of bebopped, was on church staff for a little bit out at Vance Valley. Um, and then I wound up at Pine Grove Baptist over in Alabama. Mm-hmm. Went to church there for a while. Um, and then went up at Northside for a good long while. And so it's funny because I was at Vance, at a Pine Grove and helped out with youth and things like that. And then my brother was a youth pastor out there for about seven years. Oh, that's cool. And so now he pastors a church that is about – half a mile from my parents' house. Um, and when my dad's dad was a pastor, 
he was pastor in that church when my dad was younger in high school. My dad met my mom at that church. Mm. They got married at that church uh, while my, my my granddaddy pastored it. They got married at that church. And then uh, my dad's ran revivals down there. So my brother's like the third generation to preach in that, oh, that's that church awesome. before. So it's really cool. Yeah. And so it's a little small country church, about maybe 30, 40 people. Man, so, uh, you know, that's we're 25, maybe yeah. 30 at most on a busy Sunday. And there's times when I think, man, we're a tiny little church, and I don't know, what are we doing here? You know, but then there's times when I'm like, man, I'm glad there's only 20 of these people. And, yeah, because I can't balance them all. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't see how guys at big, like, big churches can do it all. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how they do it, man. Well, and I think, too, I look at how my dad pastored. Mm-hmm. You, you couldn't pastor church the way my dad pastored at some big mega church. Yeah. You know, because my dad was, was always, you know, we hunted and fished with the guys in my church. Yeah. We went and cut, we cut hay with them. We yeah. Built yeah. cabins and stuff like that with them. You, you can't do that when you got this four or five. thing where the, the pastor can't have any friends is nonsense. Yeah. Pastor's got to have friends just like everybody else does. Yeah. And I want people to play golf with and, and hunt and fish with and do all those things. And yeah. people think, well, you can't be friends with the pastor because then, you know, it's like you become his favorite and then it gets political. But, you know. This way is with a cop, though. Nobody wants to be friends with a cop. Yeah, right, right. All the all the fun's gone when the police show up. So. Yeah. You know. All you're good for is good stories. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've told some good ones tonight, man. Well, like I said, I wish I'd wrote them down because they're just. Well, we got some recorded now, and you've go. been on with Rob a couple times. Yeah, so you've been on with Rob a couple play times. Play them and, back. And, and I've got a few in, in the book that I'm writing and everything else. So. You are writing a book. Yeah. I'm right. Well, it's funny because it started out as a um, as a fitness fitness work tra- fitness program for first responders. Okay. Um, and it just kind of grew. And it wound up having a nutrition section. Then it wound up having a uh, a self care section. Mm-hmm. Then it wound up having a twenty eight day devotional. And then yeah, and this anybody could write a fitness program. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, anybody could do that. You had a bigger purpose yeah. in that book, right? And it now the problem is I can't get it done. So it just we keep adding around. to it. Yeah. Well, you can write another book. I know. You know, you got to chop know. that thing off at some point, I and know. then <laughs> and, and so I'm I'm excited to get it done. And, and move forward with it because it's just I've been wanting to get it out for a while. You got a title for it? Yeah. Well, I did, and then I started seeing everybody else started using that title. So um, <laughs> it was just going to be uh, a tactical athlete. Okay. Well, now it's called Forge for Service because the Forge. Yeah. And so, um, but like I said, it's it's um, it's geared toward first responders and um, lack of time, right? Um, lack of sleep, lack of all these other things, and how you kind of. Uh, orchestrate all that and and tweak all that and getting away from the old bodybuilder style you know Frankenstein workout right um, and incorporate more uh, full body and and uh, fun, fundamental based stuff and so um, so yeah it's it's been it's been a, a process for me yeah because like I said just when I think I get it done it's like okay well and it was it was funny because I had nutrition and I had like stretching and I had um, uh, self-care and I had all this stuff in there and then my buddy John uh one of my buddies was like you know what you need to you need to put a devotional in there mm. and I'm like really dude you know, <laughs> if I ain't got enough to do yeah but uh but really every every day of the devotional has a, a story yeah and so that was kind of the cool thing because I kind of got to put some some cool stories in there yeah and so uh so I I, I kind of was glad I did that but like I said I'm just trying to to finish it up and get it done. Yeah. And, and Sarah asked me the other day, she's like, what are you going to do with it? I'm like, I have no idea. 
Well, my wife wrote an ebook one time. It's on yeah. Amazon. So, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's easy to get published these oh, yeah. days. Yeah. So it's, and it's not that expensive to do something yeah. like that. And that's kind of what I'm looking at, probably, is, is just do it as an ebook. And, and, uh, but then I've had other guys that's like, hey, if you'll, if you'll publish that, I mean, I'll buy three or four copies because I want to take notes and different stuff like that. I'm like, well, all right, who knows? I mean, that's not so expensive anymore either. I mean, no, just to get a not. book out it there. It depends on what you do and, and how. I guess how far you want it to go out. Yeah. You know, I think like one program I looked at was like 900 bucks and they put them in, you get, um, the more you spend on the front end, the more money you make on the back end. Right. And so if you do like the $900 deal, you make X amount of dollars per book. They put it in so many markets and you get all this extra stuff. Then if you turn around and spend $1,800 and then you make more money and, and stuff like that. So one of my buddies from, um, uh, Mighty Oaks, he's a, a black belt in the, under the graces as well. Uh, his name's John Davis. His book just came out um, really, really good. Uh, talks about his life as growing up and dealing with abuse and things like that. And he was a cop and, and just kind of what what led him back to Christ, you know, standing on top of a roof after he'd been chasing a guy. Man. And uh, thinking, you know, I, I think if the guy fell off the roof or something, he's up there thinking, you know, my, my career's done. Yeah. You know, and so, um, so it's just kind of, it's kind of funny to see how all that's come together. And, um, I've always kind of enjoyed writing, but I never thought I was good at it. Yeah. And then, um, Sarah, she's my girlfriend and she's, you know, got a master's in education and she's, she's a smart one, dude. I'm just so kinda, she's you know, grading your papers these days. Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, she, she reads it. She's like, you know, she's like, you, you write really well. Yeah. And I'm like, how I'm retarded. <laughs> I've been hitting the head a lot. How can yeah, I write Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but anyway, it, it's been it's been a process, and I've enjoyed it. Like I said, I just I need to get it done. Yeah. And move forward and do something else. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, and I'm in the middle of finishing recording music too, so it's just like whatever. A million things going on. So when I played in the band, we had like four songs that yeah. were still on my recorder. I've got a 32 track digital studio. And so I had four songs that were still in the recorder that weren't finished. Right. Well, I got to thinking, I was like, you know what? I don't have the safest job in the world. And I don't want something to happen to me and my kids not have this. Yeah. Because when they were little, that's all they ever said. Daddy, Daddy, sing me one of your songs. Sing me a song you wrote. Mm. And so, you know, I was always singing to them or whatever. And so, um, so I was like, you know what? I need to get these things finished. Yeah. So I reached out to a buddy of mine um, they used to go to church with. And I said, hey, listen, this is what I want to do. I don't want to do anything fancy. I just want to finish these. Right. And he's like, well, okay, you got anything else? And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, I got some stuff. Yeah. And he's like, well, let's work on that too. So those four songs have now became 12. And uh, <laughs> again, I can't get them finished. It's a whole album now, right? Dude, I'm telling you. And then he's like, well, what are we going to do with it? I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> SoundCloud? I don't know. <laughs> That's what he said. He's like, well, let's put it on, like, just put it on Spotify. Man. Yeah. Whatever yeah. happens. And, uh, but my whole thing is, man, I just wanted my kids to have it. Yeah. And it was so funny because I had borrowed my dad's pickup truck and, um, I needed a phone charger. So I'm rummaging through his console looking for a phone charger. And there I, I found a CD, uh, that my band made years and years ago. Ooh. And I'm like, Ooh, more stuff to do. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> one of the songs is one I actually wrote for my dad. Yeah. And it's called my dad's cool. Oh and man. It talks about how, um, my dad may not be Michael Jordan. He may not be, and it talks about Bo Jackson, which most people are like, huh? right? Uh, but, you know, <laughs> talks about that. Talks about Elvis or whatever. It's like yeah. you know, my dad may not be these people, but because my dad knows Jesus, my dad's cool. Mm. And so, um, I popped the CD in. We were coming back from my parents' house. My kids were in the back, dude, and I'm just like bawling. <laughs> and uh, my kids are like, "What?" And I said, "You know, I remember the first time we played this song was Father's Day. Mm. We went to my dad's church when he's pastoring in Alabama." 
he had no idea I was coming. And me and my buddy that plays guitar, we just show up. He's like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I was going to play a song or two. Yeah. And uh, we played that song that day for Father's Day. Uh, and uh, and so that, man, that ride home, I was just. Everybody's <laughs> crying. Oh, yeah, dude. <laughs> my daughter's like, you're crying. I said, yeah, daddy does that sometimes. It happens. It yeah. does. And so, uh, so that's pretty cool. But like I said, I'm trying to get up. Man, I just, I can't, I can't sit still. Makes it hard to finish something like that, right? If it you does. If you can't be still you know, on it. Because I got side business with gun classes and, yeah. and T-shirts and, and everything else. Plus, I've designed a custom knife that we're trying to get made. And, it's, dude, I'm telling you, <laughs> I, can't, I can't be still. Man. So, so what, what's your, your shooting class called, your gun class? Okay, so I run – so when I closed the Forge, as far as the MMA stuff, I kept Forge Tactical, which mm-hmm. is our gun classes. Um, we've got a Facebook page. It's Forge, Ta- Forge Tactical USA. Uh, and the name comes from Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, uh, as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Yeah. And um, so we run um, – we start out with, like, basic gun classes. We have people in there who's never shot before. Or we've got this soccer mom who's like, you know what? My husband bought me a gun two years ago and put it in my pocketbook, and I've never, I've never shot it. Yeah, you know, I don't even know what to do with it. And that, to me, that's a scary situation. Yeah. Not only do you not, if you don't have a gun, that's scary enough. But if you got a gun, you don't know how to run it. That's even worse. Yeah. Um, so we do a lot of beginning classes. Um, we do a more intermediate class for guys that are maybe fire, that are maybe law enforcement or former military or whatever, or, or who carry on a regular basis. Yeah. And then. Um, I'm actually doing a program for a church up in Rossville, um, doing some active shooter response and um, church security stuff to kind of make the church a little safer. Um, So we do stuff like that. We do active shooter training for like businesses and corporations. Um, We do hands-on self-defense stuff like ladies' self-defense classes. Honestly, anything that deals with violence, you know, that's just kind of what we do. But um, you're the violence guy. Well, all Maybe my we guys shouldn't say it are, like that. Uh, all my guys are like post-certified firearms instructors, which means they teach cops how to shoot. Yeah, um, they're all SWAT guys, so they all come from the mentality of not just standing here shooting holes in paper, but I'm I'm trying to make it home alive. Shooting with a purpose. That's yeah. exactly right. And so, uh, so we do those classes periodically every couple of months. Uh, we'll probably have one next month coming up. Um, I've just kind of with this new job, I've tried to kind of hold off and yeah. get my head wrapped around Find that. the new balance. Yeah, yeah. New, new Monday to Friday and, and you know, trying to figure out what the crap I'm doing because it's yeah. a lot of paperwork and yeah. I'm just not great at paperwork. I hear you. you Me know, neither. I'm an action guy and I just don't <laughs> like paperwork. So, but, uh, but we do just different kind of stuff. Yeah. So, Well, man, where are we at? Tango, hour and a half-ish? Probably. Fix yeah. say, probably. We'll wrap it up right here. Right, you got to come back and tell us about your book Dude, and your I'd songs to, and your Whenever. all that you good just stuff. Tell me man. when. I'm, as you can tell, I don't ever shut up. So yeah, that's the best kind of podcast guest. Well, I think so. You know, <laughs> me, me and Rob, we always have them. We're just kind of, what are we going to talk about? I, really I just sit down and cue the mic, man. It sorts yeah. itself out, right? Well, and that's another thing I've been trying to do. Literally, I have been trying to start a podcast for like months. Well, and here it is. What's so funny is it's your fault. Oh yeah, it's your fault. Okay, because when I saw you. And Adam mm-hmm. in, the, in the barbershop, y'all yeah. were talking about it. Oh, yeah. Listen, literally, it was like somebody took a hand and gave me the Denozo slap in the back of the <laughs> head. And it's like, God was like, I told you. Yeah. I'm like, mm, okay. Well, we'll talk about it off air and get it going. Yeah. I, listen, it's I, easy. You just well, <laughs> I, I, and I've got the I've got the equipment. It's just sitting down and getting it. Done. Right. I, there's I know 50 people that have the same story. I got to bought all this stuff, and I just gotta you know. Yeah, I understand. Yeah. So, but yeah, man, anytime. I'd love to. Cool, man. And really, I tell you, somebody I'd like to bring and let you have a chat with my boy Brandon. 
Bring him on. Because he's got a story after after the other week. I bet he does. He's gonna have to wait until things, yeah, things clear up. Right. But it'll be a, it's a it'll be a really cool really cool thing. Yeah. Put us together, man. We'll make it happen for sure. All right. Well, thank you for coming on. Hey, we enjoyed yeah. it. Yep. For sure. God bless you guys. Love you. See you next time. Thank you for watching Burnham Podcast. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe.